0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned, at the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us. So be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Judges, chapter two. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: When we think of Judges, we think of um, you know Judge Judy. Or I mean I do Or Judge Joe Brown and, and we think of judge Like the guy in the black robe With a gavel in his hand And, and sitting at the bench And slamming down his gavel And, and passing judgment And we think of judges when we, when we think of that word We think of that kind of judge But here in the Old Testament The Old Testament judges Isn't judicial Rather they are men And might I add women who are specifically gifted and specifically called and raised up for leadership by God. It's not judicial. The judges, actually the word judges, it speaks of a deliverer. It speaks of a savior. So when you think of judges, instead of thinking of the guy in the black robe and the gavel in hand, you might want to think of a man, say, in a red cape with an S on his chest. Like Superman, like a hero. Because that's what the word judges means. It means a savior, a deliverer, or a hero. Now, if you've read ahead, maybe you've read this book before, but, but it's an exciting book. It's really, really, and some of you are shaking your heads. It's a really exciting, action-packed book. This is one of those books, if you're one to do family devotions, I wouldn't encourage you to sit the kids down and go verse by verse in Leviticus. Don't do that. Say no. No. Is that what y'all do at home? Oh, no. No wonder your kids are problems. No, just kidding. (laughs) But but this would be the book now This is action-packed I mean, this book has I love this book This book, book has everything in it From daggers going through stomachs To fingers and toes being chopped off To, you know, uh, swords and stuff going through heads It's a really good, wholesome book For the whole family It's one of those kind of books So I, I'm really, really enjoying it And I think you will now, now, I gotta say this I gotta say this Because last week's study Now listen, listen closely Last week's study really kind of conjured up a lot of controversy and a lot of talking. You remember last week I happened to mention to you that I have never used a clothes washer, <laughs> that, that I, I've never washed clothes, and, and I actually had a little dilemma where I needed to prepare a shirt to take with me on a trip, and I didn't know how to wash it, so I called my wife out of Bible study. And asked her, and said, honey, I mean, how do you wash a shirt? And I, I didn't know. So I actually, I did go over, I told you last week, I went over to the washer and, you know, the clothes washer and all those knobs on the front. I never saw those things before. And so I kind of, it was just confusing to me. And so, and and I happened to see, you know, spin cycle and, and it just reminded me of of, of our, our study book of Judges. But after the sermon, Last week uh, So many people I can't tell you how many of you Came up to me and said You gotta be kidding me You have never And brothers I gotta tell you something Last week you left me hanging Cause I said I said now I have never washed clothes And I've never used a You know a washer Clothes washer And I said Are all the brothers with me And no man raised their hand And all the wives Had this look on their face like Go ahead say something So I talked to all the men after service. I said, you mean to tell me you know how to use a washer? I absolutely, and then some wives, one lady came up to my wife and she said to, she said to my wife, she said, Elvira, I got a bone to pick with you. And Elvira goes, well, whatever might it be? And and she says, you're ruining it for all women because you're not, you're not making your husband wash the clothes. I'm like, what can you say? I don't know how to wash clothes. So please, can we just go on record? I do not know how to use a clothes washer, okay? Actually, I do a lot of... uh, My wife wants you to know I do a lot of other things. She wants you to know I am a wonderful husband. (laughs) I just don't do clothes. That's all. And you don't want me to do clothes. So I looked at the washing machine, and I saw a spin cycle. And it reminded me of the book of Judges, because this book, Judges... We don't have a spin cycle, but what we see throughout the whole book of Judges is not a spin cycle, but a sin cycle. A sin cycle? What do you mean, Rodney? Well, in the book of Judges, you have actually seven sin cycles. And here is a cycle. I'll give it to you up front, you'll see it as we trek through the book. The people, number one, they are devoted to God. And you know, it's interesting how humanly and, and our characteristics are the same way. Don't we find ourselves, number one, oh, we love God. We are devoted to God. But then the people find themselves delving into sin, and they become decadent in sin. And then they find themselves defeated by the enemy. Devoted to God, they delve into sin, they're defeated by their enemies. Here's a cycle, and then they deplore their situation and they repent. Oh God, I'm sorry. Oh God, forgive me. We are wrong. You are right. They deplore their situation and they repent, and God sends them a hero, a deliverer, a savior. Someone to help them. And then the cycle begins again. They're devoted to God. They delve into sin. They're defeated by the enemy. They deplore their situation. And they're delivered by judges. Or a hero comes along and delivers the people. This cycle of sin, as I mentioned to you, repeats itself seven times in the book of Judges. You'll see that as we trek through together over the next several months. Well, last week in chapter one, you know if you were here, the people are finally in the land. They're actually getting settled in the land. And yet there's still pockets of resistance. There's still work to be done and battles to be won. But at this point in Judges chapter one, they don't have a hero. No president, no prime minister, no one to lead the people. And so they do exactly what they're supposed to do, they ask God. They talk to God. They pray. They've got enemies to face. And they ask God. And God says, send in Judah first. Send in Judah. Remember Judah? Judah means what? Praise. Send in praise. Now, it's my speculation. Most certainly, please, my my speculation. I, I believe that God said, send in Judah, send in praise. Why? Because praise always goes before the battle. And the battles really are won as we praise the Lord. As we pray and as we praise the Lord. Prayer and praise always paves the way to victory. Before we go into battle, we need to first and foremost go in prayer and in praise. Lord, what are we to do about these enemies? What are we to do? Send in Judah. Judah first, send in Judah. Well, Judah asked Simeon to go with him because Simeon, you remember the map, Judah was a big tribe and Simeon was a smaller tribe, and Judah surrounded Simeon. And so Judah said, Simeon, come on and go with us into battle. You remember that. So send in praise. Go in with praise. I think that's so very important. Important. You heavy? Feeling blue? And you don't know what to do, put on praise. Remember, last week we talked about the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Remember, you can't wear them both at the same time. Listen, brothers, listen, sisters, you can't wear them both at the same time. It's either a garment of praise or a spirit of heaviness, but never both. The Bible says, cast off that spirit of heaviness. You're feeling heavy, put on praise. Put on a garment of praise, the oil of joy. That's what we're here to do. We're here to put on a garment of praise. That's what communion is all about. I praise the Lord for that table. I'll tell you more about it in a few minutes. But I praise the Lord for that table. That's a table of joy. That's not a table of sadness. That's not a table of mourning. That's not a table of, oh, my gosh, I'm not good enough to come to the table. Join the club. None of us are good enough. But that's what the table is all about. When did we ever get to the place where we thought we can't take communion because we're so bad? As if God doesn't know you're so bad. You are worse than you think. Y'all should say amen right there. All right. So put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That's what we're here to do. We're going to put on the garment of praise. For spirit of heaviness. We do that at the table of the Lord. Well, Judah was to lead the march. You know that. He asked Simeon, his brother, to go with him. And then in chapter 19, it's really interesting. As we closed out last week in chapter 19, Judah was successful in the mountains, but discouraged in the valley. Verse 27, look in your Bibles. Chapter 1, verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the enemy. Notice he not that he could not. He did not. Verse 29. Look at that in chapter one, nor did Ephraim, verse 30, nor did Zebulun, verse 31, nor did Asher, verse 33, nor did Naphtali, nor did the other tribes of Dan in verse 34. Dan actually ran from the enemy, we'll find that out later. They did not drive out the enemy. Why? Because of compromise. God told them to kill the Canaanites. God told them to kill the kids, kill families, kill the livestock, don't take anything. Why? Because the Canaanites were like a rabid dog. You couldn't kill them. You You couldn't cure them. You had to kill them. You couldn't cure them. There was no cure for the idolatry and the wickedness of the Canaanites. As they would abort babies and take children and put them in glass jars and stuff them in buildings. And archaeological digs have found babies and children stuck in the walls of buildings built by Canaanites as they would sacrifice to the god of Molech and all their other gods. We'll talk about just a second. Hoping that the god would send prosperity to the home. And so they take a baby and put it in a glass jar, seal the jar, stuff the baby in the wall and then build over it. Evil and wicked, and God said, Kill them. And you know what God's people did? They didn't kill them, they made them pay taxes. They made money off of them. And God was upset, God was angry. They compromised. Not a good thing. Notice in chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1 Saints, if you're there, say amen. Then the angel of the Lord, underline that, would you? The angel of the Lord, important, came up from Gilgal to Bacchum and said, I led you up from Egypt. I, the angel said, I led you up from Egypt and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice Why have you done this God says or the angel says therefore I also said I will not drive them out before you but they shall be thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you the implication is forever and so it was. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to the children of Israel, notice what the people did. The people lifted up their voices and they wept. And then they called the name of that place, Bacchum, Bacchum. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess their land. Now stop right there. Give me your attention. Whenever you see in the Old Testament, The angel of the Lord. This is what is known as a Christophany. A Christophany, that's your word for the day. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate or pre-flesh appearance of Jesus Christ. A theophany would be an appearance of God. A Christophany is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. The angel of the Lord here is an appearance, the Christophany of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you know that, Rodney? Where do you get that from? How How do you know that? Well, for two reasons. Number one, look in your Bibles. Notice this angel shows up, and he claims to be God. Did you notice what he's saying? He, he claims to be God by saying that he is the one who led Israel up from Egypt and made a covenant with Israel and personally called them to obedience. Well, we know that God led the people up out of Egypt. So the the angel, the angel of the Lord is claiming to be God. Secondly, I know this because this angel shows up in human form. We know this is the second person of the Godhead or an appearance of Jesus Christ, not an appearance of God the Father, because the scriptures are clear. Now, stay with me for a second. The scriptures are clear that no man has ever seen God the Father. If you're taking notes, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17, we don't have time to look at it, but it tells us that the Father is invisible, No man has ever seen the Father. We have seen God through the Son, Jesus Christ, but no man has ever seen the Father. And First Timothy chapter six, verse 16 tells us that no man has seen God at any time. So First 1 Timothy 1:17, 1, "The Father is invisible." First Timothy 6:16 6, tells us, "No man has seen the Father at any time." So this is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. You can see it over and over and over again as we travel through the book of Judges, particularly in chapter six, this angel shows up constantly. And you will notice by his words and his language, he takes on the words and the, the, the character of Jesus Christ himself. So we call this a Christophany. This angel, you want to notice that the angel, the first thing the angel Jesus does is to comfort them in love. You see that? He says, I'm the one that brought you up out of Egypt. I am the one who gave you an abundant land of promise. And I'm the one who has given you a covenant that I will never, ever break. That's what he says to the people. In other words, this angel says, I love you. or Jesus is saying, I love you. And I've done what I promised to do. Why haven't you done what you promised to do and take down the altars? And because they wouldn't do what the Lord asked them to do, the Lord said the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will be a snare to you forever. You see, when God tells you to take down those altars and take down those idols and those areas of the flesh in your life, don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Do it now. How about before you take communion? Do it. God says stop in that adulterous affair. Stop. God says, stop living together. Stop with the sexual immorality. Then stop. Because what happens is, is when you give the enemy a foothold, you know, it's like you give him an inch, he takes a a, a mile. And what happens is that area of the flesh becomes more difficult for you to get victory over because you keep giving into it. And it becomes a snare to you. And that's what Jesus is saying to the people. You didn't get rid of the Canaanites. And because you did not get rid of the Canaanites, they are becoming a snare to you. And I'm going to allow it, God says. Notice in verse 4 and 5 in your text. Notice what happened when the angel finished speaking. The people lifted up their voices and they wept. And they called the name of that place Bacchum, which means weeping. Now, although the people wept and cried out to God, we find, because we already know the story, the cycle of sin, we know they weep and they cry out to God, but there's no real change. Isn't that interesting? The people were touched, but not transformed. Isn't it interesting how people get so emotional in the moment, but there's no real transformation You see, no, no misunderstand me. I'm not against emotion. I think emotionalism is a problem. But emotion, I love to be touched by God. I love to feel the presence of the Lord. I'm not against emotion at all. I, I love to I cry, y'all know I cry the drop of a hat. You know, I just stand up, oh Lord, you're so good. Oh God, sometimes it's embarrassing. It's like, you know, I'm not against emotion. I think emotion's good. God is a God who loves to touch you and let you feel his presence. But just because people have a display of emotion does not mean that their lives have been changed. I know it has happened to me many times. That's my background. I remember when I was years ago, I'd go to church before we had church, y'all. We had no, we had church. You know what I'm saying? We, we had a good time and we didn't learn anything about the Bible. But we had a good time at church. Oh, you know what I'm saying. And um, and it was emotion. Man, we had emotion. It was emotionalism. I mean, you know, it was like, I told you guys in the past, it was like the Blues Brothers. I mean, you know, people were, Aretha Franklin's back here. Give me some respect. And, you know, the Blues Brothers were showing around in glasses and flipping and stuff. It was cool, you know. And, and oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you know, it's all kinds of stuff. But I can tell you what, I knew Monday was coming. And all that hype, that was on Sunday, I was headed downhill on Monday. It was all emotional. Just because you have an emotional experience does not mean there's a real change in your life. And that's why I feel that it is important for us as a church to remain a word-based church versus an experience-based church. Amen, saints? The word of God is so very, very, very important. Again, emotion is good. Emotionalism is not. If people want to get excited... Then get excited about the Holy Spirit of God using the word of God to mold and shape the people of God. That's what I get excited about. I get excited when I see you change. I get excited when God changes me. I get excited when the Holy Spirit's working and I can tell. I can see it. And I get excited when God's working in your lives. And you say, Rodney, you know, I saw this in the word. Man, it was so cool. You sent me an email. God is showing me this and God is doing this in my life. And God is changing my family by the word of God, working in the people of God. You want to talk about something exciting? That's not emotionalism. That's, that's good, solid biblical emotion. And God wants to work in his people. That makes me excited but we've got to stay and we're not an experience driven church. Lord protect us from that. I never wanted to be an experience based church. you know why? Cuz if you are, you have to keep reinventing yourself every Sunday. It's got to be something new and something hot and something cool, baby. It's got to be, hey, hey, something new, something nice, you know, something like, I was got to, you know, every week there's got, oh, something else. Oh, did you see that that Sunday? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like cotton candy. It's big, no real substance. You know. Hey, man, yeah, man. You know, dancing bears, man. Yeah, that's what we mean. Yeah, uh huh. Oh, yeah, ah, ta, you know, hey, hey, hey. Verses, it's just about the word, man. If this can't get you excited, you have no pulse. Look at verse ten through seven through ten. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Are you with me? Say amen. So so the people, we gotta move on. So the people serve the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Now Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, he died when he was 110 years old. Joshua died when he was 110 years old. He was really, really old and he died. And uh, deep thought. And they buried him in verse 9 within the border of his inheritance at Timnath Hari's in the mountain of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. When all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, get this, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor work, and this is a very sad commentary, on the fathers who did, uh, this whole generation rose up who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. And then the children of Israel did evil, in verse 11, in the sight of the Lord, and served Baal, Baal, false god, the god of weather, the god of the sun, very, very evil and wicked um, false god. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord, in verse 13, and they served Baal, or Baal, and the Ashtaroth, two false gods among the Canaanites. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hand of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Whenever they went out in verse 15, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord has said, and as the Lord has sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, would you circle that word? The Lord raised up judges. Isn't that incredible? Who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges to their deliverer, to their savior. But they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, in verse 18, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groanings, by their prayers.
0: You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923.